Hello and welcome to the unofficial unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan and with me for this very special minor adjustments making big differences episode is my good friend Sarah. How's it going Sarah? It's all good. All good. All good. Everything in its right place, eh? Um, we, this is an interesting week actually, because following sort of the, the hectic schedule of, uh, of July, where we've noted that there is a a huge number of races, uh, some running simultaneously and some running in quick succession, but, but quite a lot, we, we've sort of got to a point where it's slowed right down again. Um, that doesn't mean that we're, we're short of any racing at all, or indeed very good racing, but just that, um, the, the calendar's sort of eased back up and we're in one of those more quiet spots again, aren't we? We are indeed. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, I mean, the Route de France is on at the moment and Mm. that's an eight stage race. And technically I should be all jumping up and down with joy about it because it's an eight stage race. But, um, as Velo Focus tweeted (laughs) when he was writing the preview, They basically decided to do it by having, um, you know, lots of flat stages and then a really exciting queen stage on the last stage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and I can certainly, I can understand, particularly from an organiser standpoint, why you might want to take that sort of approach because it certainly simplifies a lot of the logistics and, and those sorts of things. So. You know, there are factors that that do do that, but then it does. I I am particularly careful about. I like flat races. I have no problem with flat races and flat stages in races. I like sprints. That's all good by me, particularly in women's cycling, because as as we well know, it doesn't. You know, the the terrain never stops some crazy woman from attacking. So you're going to get good racing out of it, no matter the terrain. Um, that's yep. fine. But the, the difficulty, particularly over a, a longer stage race, and eight days is one of the longer stage races for women, is that it can get kind of repetitive. And, yeah. um, and I, think that's, I think that's the real sort of um, challenge, I guess, uh, in, in those sorts of situations. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, like we've had some some interesting results and some great stuff from from the route to France, but uh, you can certainly see, yeah, the both sides of that equation, I guess. Yes, there's there's a theme. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a theme. There's a theme. So the first, so they started with a prologue, which Emma Johansson won, with Linda Willemsen in second, and Amy Peters, Peters in third, and that's interesting because you know Linda, this is possibly what her third race back, so you know she's clearly found her form. Yeah, and then. We've had three flat stages, and they've all been won by Georgia Bronzini. Which I have to note, as far as um, the sprinter section of my my VDS team from Podium Cafe is concerned, is excellent news. I'm I'm quite happy with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first stage was won by Georgia Bronzini with Valet Scandalara. Hurrah, Valet! And Emma Johansson in third, and Talita de Jong, a young Dutch rider, in fourth. A second was. George Bronzini, Ash Moorman, and Talita in third. Stage three was George Bronzini, Emma Johansson, and Lizzie Armitstead in third. So Emma's just like romping through the GC win because, you know, mm. flat stages, no intermediate bonifications. She's just going to just 
it would be very un, unlikely if she doesn't just carry the GC right to you know right to the end. Well, I mean, it's a pretty good knows. setup for them because she she snagged um, snagged it quite early, and as you say, like defending it at the moment is not proving too difficult at all. Um, no, and I mean I. Yeah, it, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things with cycling. Like we say that now, but like there, there's still enough racing left that who knows what the fuck's going to happen. You're only ever one really bad stroke of luck away from from things really getting out of out of well out of the plan. Yeah, not, yeah. not that I'm that hoping that happens. I don't. Again, particularly for VDS purposes, I hope explicitly that that does not happen. BDS, if you don't know, is the season-long um, podium cafe game, uh, virtual virtual director sportif game. And um, Dan is currently. How are you doing on it, Dan? Uh, I'm I'm still in the top fifty, but I've slid ten pace, uh, places after July, which is pretty distressing. So, um, yes. I was really hurt by by Elisa's um, accident before the the Giro Rosa. Um, because I'm I'm certain that her presence in that race would have would have you know helped me significantly. Aww. So poor Elise, I was very happy to see during the week actually that Elise is back at her first race. So which which race is she back at? I I it's a small one, and I'm trying to remember the the name of it, and I'm doing a really bad job because I saw it via a Carl tweet. Uh, but I will. I will go look this up for you right now using the live power of the internet. And dun dun dun! This dear friend is what live internet looks like. Sounds like. <laughs> looks like if if you can tell what live internet looks like from this podcast, we're doing something really fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm also quite scared because my computer's in the room that I sleep in. And um, enough said. <laughs> Are you suggesting that, like, maybe as part of the podcast, we should offer live dance shows? I, well, it depends if we're trying to get the um, if we're trying to get the podcast listenership down as low as possible. If we just if we're shutting this whole experiment down because we're sick of it, but don't have the courage to actually say so, then that's possibly the way we want to go. But um, I I wouldn't be recommending it. That's just me. Oh, moving on. Um, yes. Oh, but you were too well. While Dan's looking that up, we there was another accident. Oh, Ash Mormon. So Ash has had a pretty good week. She won the award for being most influential woman in South African sport, which most influential woman in South African sport, which really would have delighted her. She couldn't pick up the award, so her mum did it for her because she was racing. But Ash, as a very, very, very proud South African, will be delighted with that. And as I said, she was on the podium of a sprinty race and then she crashed and broke her hand oh no Ash. poor ashley that's so oh that sucks i mean, I she's, mean she's she's done so well and i mean you know this is uh, she had such great news during the week as well so yeah and how long does it take to recover from a broken hand do you think well i think it depends on um how like like which part you break and where because the hand in theory can encompass everything from the wrist out to the tip of the finger so there's a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. there's a lot of bones in there that, that you can break is what I'm getting at I guess it must be the middle of the hand though because you'd say I would assume finger, so rather broken. than a broken finger but um 
but even then, I can't remember how many. Uh, at this at this point in time, I, I explicitly wish that we had Dr. Brady O'Donnell with us to remind us exactly how many bones there are in the hand um, and what happens when they break. But I'm assuming that that probably involves hairline fractures of one or more of those bones. The good news is that that will hopefully heal quickly. The problem, of course, with a handbrake is that it makes things like changing gears and braking on your bike somewhat difficult. Oh, because I'm just wondering if this if this messes her world's chances. Because we aren't that Shit. far away from the world, are we? We're, what are we? Six about, six weeks, maybe seven weeks. About six weeks, yeah. No, I don't. I I don't think. I I would imagine that that is now her primary goal is to be back in time for worlds. Um, yeah. Because I I can't. I don't. I I think it would be quite unlikely for her to. Um, Miss Worlds off the back of this uh, because normally I'd expect that you know, um, probably three to four weeks she'd be she'd be should have enough strength and, and movement back in her hand to be on the bike mm-hmm. and training so um, I, I have to um, my lawyer requires me to add that I'm not actually a doctor so um, you know take that with a grain of salt but, <laughs> Dr. Dan well, I, I think several things about that statement are particularly ludicrous, not least of which is that anyone would, would mistake me for a doctor in the first place. Secondly, I apparently have a lawyer on staff. What the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, anyway. so that was the route to France. Indeed, it's- and I apologise because I cannot find this tweet, so it's possible that I just had a dream in which Elisa came back. and I um, think you were talking about... The fact that her first race back is going to be the Lotto Bellasol tour, tour of Belgium. That's almost definitely exactly what I was talking about. Let's because just I'm assume. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he had a start list for the Lotto Bellasol tour of Belgium, which had Elisa Longo-Borghini on it. And I am excited about the tour of Belgium. It's another one of these races that started off as a day race a couple of years ago and has got expanded. And... And the fact that last year it was the Lotto Decker Tour, this year it's the Lotto Bellasol Tour of Belgium, and a bit bigger, implies that they might be going for expansion and taking over the world. And hurrah for things like that. Hurrah for taking over the world. They've also got a little video out of their, um, you know, a little promo video out. So, you know, um, we'll put that on our site uh, along with everything else. And, yeah, it'll cool. be, it, it'll be really exciting. Um, that's at the beginning of September. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, well, I think you're right. I, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm 90% sure that that is exactly what, because he did a little bit of a cryptic, you know, guess who's back kind of thing and tweeted the picture of the start list, and and um, and I was all excited. So I'm, I, I really appreciate, Sarah, for once you actually bailed me out and told me that I wasn't having ridiculous dreams. So <laughs> thank you. Right. I, I feel it's only fair that I publicly, publicly acknowledge your support and... Um, and niceness in this one rare instance. I can't believe I let that pat, let that slip. I should have just laughed at you and pointed and called you wrong. Um, <laughs> what I think, it, it, it's not just Ash that's had bad news this week, is it? It's been a weird kind of week. But before we go into um, more bad news, I thought we might divert through what I am currently calling 
really fucking confusing news because um, in the moments before, in the moments between our Skype call connecting and me pushing the big red button that starts to record what we say, so Sarah and I are swearing less, if you can fucking believe that, um, it turns out that I thought that this whole London racy thing over the weekend was like debacle-ish because, you know, our good friend and, um, and caretaker of my man crush, Steph Wyman, um, Mrs. Helen Wyman, um, had tweeted about how there wasn't a women's race uh, as part of the, the whole event and how that was quite frustrating. And, um, and I believe had actually been interviewed on the, on the subject as well. So I was, a, I was somewhat dubious, but Sarah assures me that there were several good things that came out of the whole thing. So by <laughs> yeah. all means, Sarah, please explain. Okay, the bad side of it. We'll start with the bad side. Um, the, <clears throat> the Prudential Ride London Festival of Cycling is part of the Olympic Legacy event, yeah? And it was a two-day show of cycling. And on Sunday, and they had it, and on sun, and it was actually stream, shown live on BBC, which was amazing. And on Sunday, they closed the roads and did a circuit, did a big race around um, the, the Olympic circuit, except only the men were allowed to do that. Because in the morning they had a giant sportif, so a lot of this coverage was oh, and right. so, celebrities. So they took the uh, yeah, I get you. So they took the tour of California approach to to women's cycling. Um, no, well, yeah. yeah, well, no, they were better than <laughs> tour of Cali because they did show the end. Because on Saturday they had the Ride London GP, so on Sunday they showed that on TV. Hurrah, hurrah! And they showed the finish because if it was the tour of Cali approach, they'd have cut off like in the last lap because you know whatever. Um, so it was a crit, and it was very frustrating. And Helen Wyman's point was that this is a huge letdown of the Olympic legacy. Apparently, it was impossible to uh, have the women riding the course. You know, the women riding the course, and I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get they could have sent Hang the on. sport team. All right, I have to ask at, at this point: Who organises this event? Is this the same people that were responsible for organising the London Olympic Games? I have no idea. Oh, that's a really interesting question. Because, I have no idea who because if it. if it turns out that it's the same fucking people who last year put on the most spectacular one day race in the women's cycling season, who then turn around and tell us this year that it's impossible to get women on a course, I yes. will fucking fly to England and commit unsaid crimes against these people, or possibly just go to the pub. But I'll be really upset. So, you know, if you yeah. run in... I mean, it's, it, it was, it's just so frustrating, the message it sends. And, and, and during the BBC coverage of the Sportif, and I think what they were doing was kind of using... The BBC was using this London Marathon-type approach where you focus on, oh, and here are people raising funds, ordinary people taking part in sport. But they were simultaneously going on about what an exciting achievement it was that a quarter of the riders in the Sportif were female. Hmm. But at the same time, demonstrating that women aren't good enough to ride over Box Hill. Box Hill, for fuck's sake. Holy shit, we can ride over the fucking Stelvio, the Motorola and things like that, but oh, Box Hill. Good, oh, my God. Good anyway. fucking God. But, uh, you know, oh, again, the same fucking hill that, that was a feature of the Olympic race. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, and, I, and it's, wow. I mean, this apparently is going to be an annual event. And, and the GP, and what was but, 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 but... The, 
the Saturday Crit still had loads of big crowds turn out. It didn't have, it had some really interesting riders come along. There was Luce Conawike and Spratty and Jesse McLean from Orica. And there was uh, Lauren Roney from, from Specialized Lulu, yep. from Specialized Lululemon. And of course, all the stars of the British domestic circuit. And here's where it's good. They did actually show it on TV, on BBC One. It wasn't live, but it was the day before. And yep. it was commentated by Rochelle Gilmore. Oh, cool, cool. So we had good quality commentary as well. Then. Yeah, and that, was, and that was a really nice thing because, yeah. you know, generally when the BBC shows women's cycling, they've got some dude. And, you know, at the Olympics they had David Miller, who obviously knew nothing. I mean, he could maybe mention a couple of the British women. Mm-hmm. He knew a couple of British women because he knows them. And he's not stupid enough not to know that Mariana Voss is brilliant. But, you know, generally the com- commentary was like, yes, tomorrow Cav will find this. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if I was riding this, this is what I'd be doing. And it's like, holy shit, David, I'm actually going to punch the telly. So, yeah, but, you yeah, know, at like, the same time. Like, but- you're actually doing it worse than, uh, I mean, okay, here's, here's a question for you. If you had a choice, nah, it's still too one-sided. I was going to say, if you had a choice between David Miller and um, Phil and Paul commentating women's race, which would you take? But, oh, you know. oh! I think I take Phil and Paul because they are better because they've at least got some because at least they've got some track record of commentating. Like as in every now and then they do actually get the name of a writer correct. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. But well, it was then. great having and and actually people were saying that the live commentary for the women's race was much better than the men's and and interestingly for the Olympics Rochelle had been commentating for Eurosport so I mean. There's all sorts of riders, and some people were questioning why Rochelle was doing it, given that she owns Wiggle Honda, and Wiggle Honda were one of the biggest teams in the races. But actually, when you've got, you know, the people who you'd want to commentate, if, if you weren't talking about Rochelle, if you're talking about British women, people like Helen Wyman were actually in that race. Yeah. And then Lizzie Armistead is out in France, in the route de France. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was a, so it was a really, it was a nice, it was a nice thing. And, and the other thing is, they weren't pretending that it was a, that it was an important, that it was a hugely important race to the overall calendar. Yep. They were placing it exactly where it was, and I like that. Yeah, and- no, I appreciate that too. And I, I guess, again, trying to take a positive from the the overall thing. I, I, I guess, in a way, at least, this sounds like it's a reasonable foundation from which to build, in the sense that people were watching and are talking about how they expect to see it improved next time it happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, and and Rochelle. Someone was commenting that you know Rochelle, you know Rochelle shouldn't shouldn't you know ch- shouldn't be doing it because because she has she's conflicted. But then holy shit, you know you see Magnus Backstead on Eurosport or talking about his team. You see Sean mm. Kelly or or you know you see Sean Kelly talk about his team. Men talk about the teams they have involvement in all the fucking time. And well, and we also say, going back to Phil and Paul and their love of all things Texan. For a long, oh, long time, yeah, exactly. or whatever. So exactly, you know. and actually, Rochelle was doing that really clever th- thing because some of the criticism for the coverage of Wiggle Honda has been that they tend to kind of be bigged up, like you know, as if they're the only thing in the world, you know, like that they're, they're the best team in the world, and then that means that if they don't win, it's it's a little bit interesting. Whereas Rochelle goes the other way; she was like completely bigging up Hannah Barnes and and all the other you know and, and the and the international riders because that means that if your riders do win they seem even better <laughs> they've beaten the world's best yeah yes. and so mm. it was um 
it was won by it was won by Wiggle Honda's Laura Trott with Hannah Barnes, the domestic superstar, in second place, and Lauren Roney in third. Um, Lauren riding without a team. Um, Laura's teammate Danny King in fourth, and Noose Honawike in fifth. And one of my favourite moments was they had they they did the interviews afterwards really well. So they interviewed Laura and Hannah and Lauren. And Lauren, they said, the interviewer was saying, oh, you know, Lauren, you're a pro rider for Specialised. You were riding this with only one teammate, so it must have been hard because it's a crit. And he said something like, this is by no means the biggest race you're in this year. (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. Mm. But it gave Lauren the perfect opening for going, oh, but it's so exciting to be here. The crowds are fantastic. and I've absolutely loved riding in London. It's been one of the most fun races I've ridden all year. And... Yeah. Even if that's not true. I mean, it just gave Lauren, just Lauren was just had that perfect, perfect, mm-hmm. enthusiastic rider who's super happy to be here without at all saying, yeah, this is a small shit race. It's not even UCI ranked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it rather, was... rather than the, um, the, the cab response, um, <laughs> you know, she went a yeah. different way. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was just, and that sort of thing made it really, you know, and, mm. and that's one of the things that's really interesting about it too, because when you have people like Laura Trott or Hannah Barnes and Lauren talking about it afterwards, you've got like some really happy, enthusiastic riders who, you know, they're all really good at getting over their love for the sport. Yep, yep. So Hannah Barnes, you know, she's won pretty much, she won the Tour Series, she's won pretty much all the crits, she won the Nocturne, and she was just so happy, so happy, and oh, I really love cycling. Yeah, I didn't win this time. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, you've convinced me then that it wasn't the, the complete horror show that I was expecting or fearful of it, it being. Yeah. So, um, okay. We'll put a link to... Um, Velo Focus was there, so we'll put a link to his photos on our blog, prowomenscycling.com. And if I find any other video, I'll put links to that there too. Yeah. Cool. Um, what other racing? Yeah, um... There was uh, there was a round of the Lotto Cycling Cup Erpa Mare, I can never say it, a rondigam, um, which was an Swingers Ladies Cycling Team have been having a pretty good run recently. Throughout the year, they had their wonderful Anna van der Breggen um, doing really well. But Erpa Mare had, had an all-Sengers top three. Mm. Micah Polspol, Sophie de Voist, Christine Majerus. And I don't know if that's because... All the other big riders are at the Route de France or having some time off. But, yeah, I mean, amazing. Uh, well done, then. Um, in America, there was the three-stage Tour of Elk Grove. Um, Ali Powers won the first stage. Joel Newmanville the second. Kimberly Wells. Do you remember Kimbers? Hey, Kimbers? go, Kimbers. Kimbers was third and Shelley Olds o- win the overall. For, for um, those who aren't familiar, Kimbers is our other racing doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Kimbers Wells was... Um, she kind of... Every year there's an Aussie that does this, and last season it was Lauren Roney, yep. and this season it's Kimbers, where she did really, really well in the in the in the in the Aussie summer yeah. crit. She won our she won the Australian crit championship, so she's actually the yeah. Australian national champion in in crits. Um, but she also won she won she won a couple. I'm, I'm pretty sure she won a couple of. Oh yeah, she no, won she, a, she won a bunch of other races, but you know it's the national championship. It, 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 yeah. Des- despite the fact that it happens at an unusual time of year compared to everyone else, it's still a, a thing. 
So no, it's an exciting thing because yeah. the Aussies, the Aussies go all out for this because of the you know because they all want to wear the national green and gold national jersey. Well, they all want to wear win their green and gold national jerseys. But seeing as they have it on the the national road race on the same course every year, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's somewhat hilly. I think is a polite way of saying it. Well, it, it's actually one of the sort of interesting. Um, sort of contentious things about the Australian racing because the arguments go that because it's a known and predictable course, people can really target and train for the race and um, and that sort of thing. So it doesn't, you know, the race itself, um, I, I guess like most things, you know, when people argue about courses and changing this, that or the other, what we're really talking about is is what it is that's going to animate the race. And, mm. you know, a course that's a little less well-known or that has some variation in it compared to previous years or whatever will unfold differently than a course that is known quite well and um, and people are familiar with. But, you know, it, like we always say, it comes back to, to how it's raced and who attacks. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've, got, I've got mixed views about it, but I actually, I don't really, I don't have a problem with with it being the same. In terms of the course itself, my only real complaint is that I would prefer it if it moved around so that other parts of the country got to see it. Because, you know, Australia's rather large. (laughs) mm, Be kind of nice to have the national championships within, uh, you know, I'm not selfish, within, say, three hours of Sydney would be okay by me. You say that, but they're going to move it to Perth, aren't they? Yeah, well, actually, technically, that's still within three hours of Sydney. It's just three and a half hours by plane. But <laughs> it's actually not. It's it's five and something hours by plane. <laughs> I thought that I thought the other thing about the Aussie National Course was that um, because it's so hilly and it's basically suited to breakaway riders, that there's no chance of an Aussie sprinter ever being the Aussie National Champion. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's that's the argument. Um, it goes every... I can't remember how often, but it's like every every X number of years they do actually look at revising the course and making changes to it. And so uh, the thing is, the last two times, um, they've just added one more hill. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it doesn't... I guess, it, you know, in a perverse sort of way, it does address that problem. <laughs> just yeah. not in the way that sprinters may have preferred. <laughs> I think what that means is that the Aussie crit championships is therefore has much bigger, has a bigger, um, sprinty representation. uh, No, no, a bigger, bigger, um, it's more prestigious than other national crit championships. Okay. Yeah, no, I could, I could see that. I mean, I I, I would, I would ask my, my question would be, um, like I, I would guess that it's comparable to the American, um, crit, championship just because america has such a great tradition and history of of crit racing you know they have so many great races yeah i don't know though i think still sprinters if i don't know if it's at the same i don't think the american crit championship is the same time as the nationals so so like the british one isn't either um but it's but i think with the aussies because so you don't have an issue where sprinters are kind of holding things back to go out for the national jersey like they are in other countries. I think yep. the Aussies, the sprinters, are just happy to get over the hill <laughs> to finish the race. Fair enough. 
Fair but yeah, enough. so anyway, Kimber's Kimber's Wells, if you don't Kimberly Wells, she was also um she's a, she's training to be a doctor and she off the back of her fantastic season got a ride in America got a ride in America. Who's she riding for? Fierce Femme. Uh is it Fierce Femme or Femme Fearless Femme, that's the one. Fearless Femme. Fearless Femme. Yep. And yeah, it's, so it's nice. Um, and it's she nice. guest rode for, um, I think, for Exegy for a couple of weeks um, recently as well. So when yeah. she was taking a break so, from winning every crit in the world. So, yes. <laughs> so you know, so, and, it, and actually that's quite a, it's quite a good, it's quite an Aussie way to do it, where you start off on, on Oz, and you might ride in, um, in in America for a year or a couple of years, and not just Aussie, but Emily Collins um, did a New Zealand a Kiwi Kiwi rider did the same thing mm, because mm. it kind of gives you a kind of gives you a chance to get to know a different kind of peloton, and it's it's less of a less of a throwing yourself in the deep end than just being launched at the. Um, well, and I think <laughs> also it's I, yeah. Well, and I can certainly see it, particularly you know um, the the sort of getting those larger pack skills and stuff and yeah. also being a you know a more competitive environment than you know we have a we have a pretty good racing scene here but it's you know obviously just by scale and size of population not going to be as big as the US so i can see yeah. it as a good intermediate step too so yeah, yeah. Too, what i think will be really point. interesting will be seeing next year whether kimbers goes back to the US or whether she decides to to take on um, challenges in Europe because I know uh, when she won the championship this year that she was getting offers um, straight away so yeah but I know she's also had a fantastic time in the US so yeah yeah um, the other race that I, the other race that was interesting is, is a kind of strange time of year because there have been all sorts of little post you know kind of post tour crits going on that have women's races um mm. Voss has been winning a load of those. But I noticed um, one of the national level races, Oostkamp, was won by Joanne Hogan. Yeah. And who, Joe Hogan... Joe's had a, a rough kind of week or so, and um, and so it was good to see her win that race, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, particularly interesting, as someone said on Twitter, that since her rough times have been kind of sorted out, she's done really well. I think this might have been the second crit that she won. But, um, yeah, tell us about what happened to poor Joe. Well, Joe Hogan, for people who don't know, um, obviously she's an Aussie rider. She actually came second to Gracie Elvin in the National Road Race uh, this year. Mm -hmm. um, she has been, you know, she's one of those... Um, I guess, you know, like like if we were talking men's cycling, she'd be one of those sort of vaunted domestiques sort of thing, you know, like someone who's a very good rider in their own right, but slaves away for for their team kind of thing, because right. that's where her performance level sort of sat. And I don't mean that in any way as a criticism, I'm just saying um, that, you know, like in the same way that we talk with a lot of love and affection about someone like Ted King or, or whomever, you know that that's probably the role that she would she would have sat in um in women's cycling due to team size and stuff like that it works a little bit differently in that what's really happened is that joe's gone to europe um you know trying to find her way and make her way and has done that sort of um again kind of it seems to not be uh, a guaranteed part, but it's it's certainly not an uncommon narrative for Aussie women um, trying to make it over there. We've seen, you know, at different times, writers like Chloe Hosking and Rach Nalen and that sort of thing do similar things. Um, mm. So she's gone to Europe. She's been racing with Bizkaya Durango, 
for a while. Uh, technically meant to have been uh, like last year and this year. What happened is um, last week she was basically told by the team that they needed to end her season early. They, they've been under... Well, I don't know if it's severe, but in my opinion, if you're at the point where you're telling writers that you need to end their season, then I would consider that severe uh, financial strain for a while. Mm. And um, and so they they basically sort of said, look, we're, we're going to have to shut down. We can't afford to fund any your, your season any further, which left her scrabbling sort of coming into Worlds and to to, um, you know, some of the races um, in the end of the season with no real lifeline. And it was kind of awkward timing because, you know, even before this this last win, she was starting to, to sort of really hit her form and, and perform well. So there's an interesting article on... article slash interview with her on Cycling News about it that sort of talks through it all. Um, and, yeah, so... It's kind of a, like it's one of those things that um, every time you you hear or or see someone say something kind of stupid or dismissive about you know the the perceived or or discussed inequality in women's cycling, um, it's the kind of thing that like this is the story that I want to roll up as a bit of wet newspaper and hit them on the nose with. <laughs> You know, it's it's fucking hard, and I've got a lot of respect for any rider who would, who would, you know, bottle up their nerves and travel to the other side of the world and um, and really put, you know, so much behind it. And not to take anything away from Joe, but it's it's not, you know, it, it's an all too common story, and it, it, it to me is one of those things that's really motivating to continue to try and address these sorts of inequalities and difficulties within the sport because yeah. you know uh, again I'm, I, I don't want to point fingers and suggest I don't for a start I don't have enough knowledge of what's happened within the team to, to know the financing or, or whatever but there have to be there simply has to be better ways for team structures and, and the oversight of administrative bodies like the UCI to function in order to support more sustainable practice and processes that don't leave riders stranded on the yeah. other side of the world partway through a season because yeah. and i mean yeah especially riders who are you know i what i'm interested in is what this means for her pay mm. because if they've cut her contract are they still going to be carrying on paying her for the season i mean joe's living in girona um yep. how what that means yeah because no that's an excellent point just run home to, um, you know any rider has got a has got you know is paying their rent and stuff, but you know I guess if you were Dutch or something, you could at least you know manage to rescue yourself. But holy shit, you know what do you do from you know from Australia? So yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, it is I one mean, of the it's one of the more alarming um, notes in that article from Cycling News is the that you know they say sorry I'll just quote this bit because it's it's directly relevant to what you're saying news that Bizkaya Durango is struggling financially does not come as a surprise with cycling news aware of a number of teams within the women's peloton that are unable to pay riders um, so you know that's stopping short of actually saying that they can't but it certainly does seem to imply that there's difficulty there yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and I, sorry I should also add you know um, despite my my kind of lengthy introduction joe is a great rider you know like i said she came second in the road national championships 
this year. She was the 2011 Amy Gillett Foundation um, writer. Um, you know, mm. she got that sponsorship. So, you know, it, it's not this. This is someone who I would expect to to go to Europe and succeed. You know, maybe not achieve the the highest levels of success in in terms of how people want to cut that by fame or winning lots of races or making tons of money or or, or whatever. But who I, I certainly would have expected us to to continue to be talking about as a as a, a competitive rider. And I, I hope that that is what comes to pass because, you know, as you say, um, since she's gained that little bit of stability, uh, you know, her performance seems to have, have stepped back up a notch, which is great. Uh, yeah. But it goes to show how much of an impact these sorts of pressures can have psychologically and, and just logistically. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, what, what annoys me about this is is we ha it's out of all the teams out there, it's not a surprise. I mean, you know, I, I hear rumours that Farron aren't paying their riders, and but that's not a surprise. Mm. You know, Nicole Cook had to take them to court, and last year other riders had to take them to court. Dear Peloton, why do you sign up to Farron? They don't pay you. But um, but but Vizcaya actually had a, a a crowdsourcing campaign to raise twenty thousand euros so that mm. they could ride the Giro. Yeah, that's right. To to get to but, the Giro, yeah. And I do wonder what the UCI does when they hear these things. You know, what is there? What do they do? Because we know from Rach Nayland's story last year that she was, um, she, well, the unofficial story I've been told, I don't, and not by Rachel, but the gossip I have heard, so this might not be true, is that she, um, is that she, um, had issues about being paid too, went to the UCI and it basically resulted in her team dropping her and taking her bike away from her. Oh, really? Oh, fuck. God, that's... So, you know, there is... But, but, mm. but, if you, like me, are irate about this sort of thing, there are things you can do. Yes, because, yes, thank you, because, thank you, yes. Uh, because there's there's various things going on that will have been quite interesting. So um, the League of American Bicyclists have put out a report about women and riding, and that kind of I think looks at more about riding, you know, about about what it's like for women riding in the states. Um, but very interesting, they're now saying that more bikes are owned by women than men okay. in the twenty in the I think it's the twenty three to sixty category. Okay. But, but there's also a couple of interesting things. Um, Kate Bates, the former former Olympic track cyclist, Australian um, former Olympic track cyclist and road star. And former was, world champion, too. I feel obliged to point that out while we're talking about Australian champions. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Mm. Sorry. Well, only, sorry, Australian, only Australian ever to win the, the world championship in the points race. So I think that's significant. Thank you. Okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Kate, Kate Bates had put out a, 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 a query on Twitter and various other places asking for anyone's anyone's views because she's part of the women Women's Commission on Cycling Australia and they're just about to look at what they can do to help women's cycling, yep. which is really interesting because there are things like, well, what, do, you know, why, what, pre because, you know, A, as we know, Cycling Australia is a big, big vocal, interesting um, federation. But also because of that, because of Tracy Gordry uh, being the representative for the, yeah. for, you know, for, for the region on the UCI, it's 
it's it's there, this is this is something that's not this isn't just some report that's going to just you know gather dust yeah, in the corner this yeah. is going to be they, they when they do things like this they do things seriously and and that's one and of the in, things that i was was going to say and, and i do agree and think is really interesting is that um you know like cycling australia is one of those organizations where um sometimes it's really hard to read what's going on sort of behind the scenes or whatever um but as you say when when they start to move on something they kind of don't really fuck around you know yeah and, yeah yeah and i think there's a whole bunch of really interesting things that have all sort of come together at around the same time um starting with you know last year's revelations of australians being involved in the 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 broader scope of the whole lance armstrong thing um and the implications of that trickling through to as you say the athletes commission for cycling australia having good representation from women monique hanley and um and kate are both involved with that um and tracy as as the the regional the oceania uci representative you know, I think means that we're we're actually at a point where it's not just that there's representation there, but that it's really good, really smart, and really connected representation. You yeah. know, these women have all performed at the the pinnacle of cycling as athletes, but they also still all maintain a huge number of really good relationships with current riders all over the world. Um, you know, from the domestic scene to the the European pros, and um, and so I think have a great understanding of the challenges in front of the sport. So I'm actually really kind of personally quite excited. I, I honestly don't know what will come out of this, but it, it to me just feels like we're sort of at one of those moments where we're starting to actually achieve real change is yeah. possible. And, and I think, I mean, I think it helps that in Australia last year, there was the, um, the, I, I, I'm, forgive me when I get the terminology right, but basically there was the Australian government report on women in sport, which made some really interesting and far-reaching changes. It mm. made some really damn. It was really quite damning about a lot of the Australian sports federations, yep. but in really nice Aussie style, was focusing on the changes. And one of the things, and that I really enjoyed, was them putting forward something saying that if you're getting government funding or you know or AIS funding, AIS funding yep. or whatever yep. for your for your for your federation you have to have representation on women at every level and especially at the governance level yep yep if you want really if you want olympic funding which is the single largest source of yeah. um australian government money going into sport at all is for olympic sports because you know like many governments that fund sports they're interested in winning medals and so, yeah, yeah. It, it's, as you say, become a requirement. And it's also one of those things that, you know, here we are, as you say, just not even a whole year later, and we're seeing the impact of those sorts of changes. Anyone who tells you that, that you can't, um, that, that a governing body like the UCI or an, an oversight body or, or whatever can't, you know, make simple policy changes that have huge impact is a fucking moron. <laughs> because because well, I'm telling you right now from a country where one simple change, you know, went, if you're going to be a, a government-funded Olympic sport, then you're going to fucking have some balance in your representation here, here, and here. And that was it. They didn't say who, how, or or whatever. They just set the requirements and let the sports deal with it themselves. You know, it, it works. It fucking works. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And that's particularly interesting for Britons because we've just got a UK Parliament public inquiry into women and sport has just opened this week. Excellent. And they're looking for um, they're 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 covering um, they're covering. Uh, availability of facilities for training and playing for girls and women at elite and grassroots level, finance, including sponsorship and prize money, mm-hmm. media coverage, reasons, reasons why women's by, why participation in sport by women decreases, and the variety of sports on offer to girls at school. Now, I would suggest that if you are involved in women's sport in Britain in any way, be that as a parent of a girl or as a as an elite athlete, elite cyclist or whatever, then put submit some evidence submit written evidence to this you know they're looking at media coverage that's something we're all interested in mm, you know mm. if you are if you like me have specifically over and over wondered why british cycling which is funded you know funded through government funding i know people go oh it's funded by members but you know the vast majority of it comes from government you know government and lottery funding if, you know why how they can support team sky but they can't support a women's team for example this is the place to ask because we can really make a change in this absolutely um, and if you we'll if put- you watch the the london olympic race and enjoyed it ask why the other races aren't on tv if you've heard us talking about the the new announcement for the tour of britain then drop a note about that in as well um yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah. man i'm really excited for you that's really cool news yeah. So, yeah. Um it does just remind me. I just all of this talking about the UCI. <laughs> one of the things I really enjoyed this week, it may not come as a surprise, comes from Emma Pooley. Oh, Emma, 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 Emma. But um, Emma, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that she said something rather blunt and to the point that you find highly amusing. So I, she was talking about she was saying about how much she likes um she was talking in the Guardian about the women's Tour de France brackets. Make sure if you haven't signed the petition, you sign it. Um, but and and the Tour of Britain. And she said, "This is." I'm just going to quote this because this is Emma, isn't she brilliant? Um, Pooley is damning about the candidates for the presidency of the UCI, the incumbent Pat McQuaid and the cha- challenger Brian Cookson, who have espoused the cause of women's cycling only recently after many years' involvement at the highest level. They are doing it to save face because they don't want to be seen as old-fashioned bigots, said Pooley. <laughs> She's been on the UCI commissions for many years in which women's cycling has gone downhill. There are people at the UCI who are really pro-women's cy- pro women's cycling, but fine words butter no parsnips. What they are sound- saying <laughs> sounds great, but it's all, all talk. I haven't heard a specific suggestion for either of them, from either of them. What the fuck? Hang on, I, I just have to, I know this is wildly off point, but I've got to ask, does she come from like a particularly famed part of England where they have weird colloquialisms? Well, Fine I words, thought... butter, no parsnips. I, like, I, I, I can't even comprehend what that means. I mean, do you butter a parsnip like a bit of toast? Do you dip it in melted butter? What... I don't understand. I that's one of those phrases that I would assume comes from Yorkshire or Lancashire. <laughs> but Emma is from um, Norwich, and Norwich is known for being flat, which is why it's always so funny that, <laughs> that she's um, such a climber. That she's such a climber because I don't think she probably even saw a hill. <laughs> um, I think she went to university at Cambridge, which is like um, 
equally flat. So, you know, it's one of those, it's one of the many, how did Emma Pooley know what a hill was? Oh, right. No, no, I think I've worked that out then. That seems, that kind of makes sense to me. If she grew up where it's flat and, and went to university where it's completely flat, um, I can imagine then when she's out on a ride that she would have hit anything that looked remotely like a hill just to alleviate the, the sheer bloody boredom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've no idea. Fine words, butter, no parsnips. Someone on, someone on Twitter asked, is that a common phrase in Britain? No, no, it's not. And I mean, I, I'm assuming that buttered parsnips are better. I, I don't know. Um, I, all right, maybe someone, I don't know if this is, a, I know she loves being name checked in every episode of the podcast. So I'm just going to put it out there and say, um, can Sword Panda do some research on this for us and let us know what the, uh, I want, I, I would appreciate the best possible buttered parsnip recipe available. Thank you. Okay. Um, more news. Well, there was doping news. Uh, more doping news. Mm. Some American rider, Madeline Godby from the USA, um, has been popped for using clenbuterol at the Pan Americans. Now, that's actually one that I know. That's a that's a common steroid that's used to treat serious asthma conditions. So, yeah, yeah, is yeah. this oh, no, is this sorry. a is this a, a case of she's got a genuine medical problem and forgot to get a a TUE or? I don't think that's something that happens in cycling, Dan. No. Oh, okay. I I think I think I think the thing that happens in cycling is a lot of people that they're overrepresented overrepresented by in sorry severe asthmatics are overrepresented in the sport of cycling. <laughs> asthmatics are just naturally drawn to. Um, uh, 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 highly aerobic um, and and very respiratory dependent endurance sport is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. You know, I love cycling. I mean, I I really feel for genuine asthmatics in the peloton actually because um so Laura Trot, um, amazing, brilliant, genius Laura Trot, um, track genius, Olympic champion, darling of you know darling British British cycling's darling. Laura Trot was born with one collapsed lung. And her and she was asthmatic as a child, so her parents, you know, her parents were encouraged mm. by doctors to get her to playing sport. She was actually kind of she was actually born with one collapsed lung in a coal mine, um, while there was a shower of coal dust being sprayed around her. So, no, too much. I no. exaggerate. Okay. Yes, too much. But you know, but what I'm saying is, there are genuinely riders mm. with asthma in the peloton. However, the amount of TUEs <laughs> for for for. for, for for asthma for asthma drugs, drugs. yeah that must be that must be one of those really embarrassing things where you know like you you're walking up the stairs at your hotel after after a long day stage and you're a bit wheezy and have to pause to get your breath and someone goes are you okay and you're like asthma and they're all just like yeah yeah me too whatever <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Amanda Godby, I've never heard of her, but she mm. won something in the Pan American Track Championships. She's 20 years old, popped for Clenbu. Um, I was should stress that it's not Clenbu I'd never heard of. It's Madeline Godby I'd never heard of. <laughs> I, I just, I just, what are you doing? What are you doing, cyclist? Christ, oh, God. Anyway, um, good thing she was popped. Hurrah, hurrah. Um, yeah, um, coming up, coming up. This yes. weekend is another round of the Mountain Bike World Cup. Oh, we all know that you really don't like mountain bikes, so we can skip that if you want. 
Monson Anne in Canada. The um, the, the the women's cross country race is on the tenth. <laughs> the women's downhill race is on the eleventh. Um, I say this every time. If you've never watched any down, any any mountain bike, go to Red Bull TV on the eleventh and watch downhill. It's so good. <laughs> what I'm enjoying is that tonight, despite my best efforts, you're just not rising to the bait. It doesn't really matter what I say. You're just ignoring me. Um, I, I could actually, I think, at this point, go make a cup of tea and just let you finish the podcast without me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a younger brother, Dan, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, but the difference is you love your brother. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is my brother's near enough for me to be able to punch him occasionally. <laughs> so, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Can you imagine Imagine the, the theoretical point in the future where we actually do this podcast sitting side by side and just recording it? Oh my God. It's just going to be punctuated by slaps and thumps. It'll be, you know... I have wondered what that's going to be like because I think we are just basically going to be pushing each other off the sofa and I can't just <laughs> each other with the pillows. It's going to yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. That, I guess if we ever actually do decide to do a video edition, that would probably be the one, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'd need to have someone sitting between us as like a you know, <laughs> high can't behave uh, yeah we'd, we'd have to establish rules like we'd need a referee and someone to like okay now it's your turn to talk it'd be like a, be like a, a presidential debate um, oh no 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 I'd, I'd get much more talking time in because I could just <laughs> hold your mouth if you think I won't won't use all of my elbows and knees to get you and your pillow off me. Um... <laughs> anyway, moving back to cycling. Um, it's it's a quiet week. I mean, so the Route de France mm. carries on. But then in, in a couple of weeks' time, um, on the 16th and 18th of August, we have the Open de Suède Vorgorda. Which is wonderful. I... I hadn't seen this race until uh, last year, um, but it, it's one of those those races that proves a point that I'm actually really fond of mentioning. And um, if you've heard me talk about this before, I'd apologise, except I don't care. Um, which which is that it, it's really simple to provide good uh, quality base level coverage for for minimal cost. Um, of a race, they have a great race ticker, and in addition, they they stick a fixed camera at the finish line, um, and because it's a, a circuit um, to the finish, like I can't remember how many times around the circuit it is though, um, but you get it's to see, like eight. yeah, so you get to see the peloton pass several times, and then you get to see the actual finish, and along the way, you've got the ticker giving you the update. So, you know, you, you get well. Let me put it this way: it's fucking better than flesh for line. I'm looking at you. <laughs> I mean, it's charmingly homemade. It, mm. it was the funniest thing was they did have a camera attached to the um, attached to a motorbike, but a the color balance was well off, so everything was green tinted, <laughs> and b they pointed the camera in the wrong direction. No, Sarah, everything all... in Sweden is just lush and green. That's just how it is. <laughs> <laughs> but they also had a um, they also had a camera on the top of a hill, which was basically, and they showed a clip of it. Some guy with a laptop. With a cap, so someone going with a camera, like when the when the when they came over the top of the hill, mm. he'd be pointing at it, and he pointed as the, as the race passed, and the guy's laptop would just would just upload it straight to this site. So this site was just 
nothing, 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 Swedish radio, Swedish radio. Then all of a sudden, the hill. And then <laughs> 10 minutes later, the finish line. And yeah. with this great ticker, it was, I mean, it was, on the. if you were used to men's cycling and things like the tour tracker, you'd be going, oh, God, that's terrible. But it was actually incredibly charming. It, and it is, but it also, and I think the really important thing is that, it's, uh, in my opinion, an ingenious solution um, to a complex problem in that, yeah, if you want full-blown Tour de France-level coverage, then, yeah, you're talking, you know, multiple helicopters and huge numbers of hangers-on and whatever. But, as you say, you sit a guy partway along the course at the interesting point, which is the climb, and, um, and give him a, a webcam and a laptop that can stream it, and... You know, like, we're getting to see... Yeah, okay, it's not perfect. It's not the ideal solution, but it's a hell of a lot more than we get from most races. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know... And it was charming. Yeah. It was charming, and it's... I, I, I hesitate to say ineptitude, because that's the wrong phrase. It's no, charming. No. It's, but it's simplicity. It's, it's, you know... and But that's the other thing, is that it didn't... It would be incredibly frustrating if all you had were those two bits of streaming video. Yeah. But you didn't because they were smart enough to put together a complete package which involved the ticker and the Swedish radio and the, the video so that you were never in the dark about what was going on. And, yeah. and you know, it actually made it really good because when the, when the peloton was approaching the hill or the finish line, because of what you'd seen on the ticker, you had an idea of what was going on, so you knew what you wanted to be looking for to see who was out in the, the break, yeah. who was on the attack, and that sort of thing. It, I actually found it, you know, that those brief moments of video were actually really good because I knew what I was going to be looking to see. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So hurrah. Mm. Um, good on them. Week, well, the only other thing oh, I wanted no. to mention... The only other thing I wanted to mention is coming up this Sunday on Cycling Central, which is the, the weekly cycling magazine show on SBS here in Australia, they're dedicating the episode to women's cycling and um, and specifically the issues around women's cycling. Um, and it will be featuring uh, members of the, the Athletes Commission, um, as we were discussing earlier. So, um, you know, and, and it's kind of a nice follow-on from the cycle show in the UK the other week. It's good to see that, you know, while race coverage and so on is, is still an issue, that we're starting to get more and more attention paid to the sport of women's cycling by some of the media organisations that cover the sport. Yeah. Um, can people outside Australia watch Cycling Central? Uh I am not entirely sure, to be honest, because it streams live. Uh, sorry, it doesn't stream live on the SBS website at the same time that it goes to air. It's usually uploaded to the website the next day, um, and I have had mixed reports as to its levels of geo restrictedness. Uh, well, if we so. find if we find it, mm. if we find it's available, we'll tell you about it next week. Cool, cool. And um, if if it's not available, we may still tell you about it, and you'll just have to imagine what it looked like. So if you're in Australia, it's Sunday the 11th. What time is it, Dan? Uh, 6 p.m. on SBS 2. Uh, so, yeah, uh, do tune in. Do, do. Excellent. And um, come back to us next week, and we'll tell you everything else that's gone on. Mm. And in the meantime, if you find something that's gone on that we haven't yet talked about, then let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or on uh, our website or email us. Sarah's about to tell you how to do all of those things. <laughs>
Our website is prowomenscycling.com and our email is prowomenscycling at gmail.com. If you wanted to talk to Sarah on Twitter, then you would use the handle at underscore pigeons underscore. If you wanted to talk to me on Twitter, Sarah will talk you out of it. <laughs> if you want to talk to Dan on Twitter, talk to him at, at Dan W official. Yes, um, which is completely unofficial, so thank you. Uh, yeah, that's it, and there's no point dragging this out with a long, complicated, involved, rambly finish, is there, Sarah? So I guess we should just maybe say goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Bye. Talk to you soon.